0: Hey, welcome to the Miss Your Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missjudechicago.com. On this series on the cross, how many of you have ever seen a cross before? <laughs> yeah. Okay, a couple of you. Yeah. <laughs> how many of you've seen it as a, on a piece of jewelry before? Yeah. Okay. How many of you have been in this circumstance where you see on a piece of jewelry and you've wondered, do they know what it means? Yeah. Yeah. So and, and then and then that kind of starts to raise all kinds of other questions. Like, do I know what it means? Do 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 I know what it means? Like, and then we begin to wonder, what if it means more than what I've always thought it meant? Or what if it means not that the things that we always thought it meant—that Jesus died for us and uh, to get us into some eternal salvation—is true. That's true. But what if it means something? else or something greater or what if my framework on it is skewed or wrong or different and I wanted to explore that in this series what else does it mean not that it doesn't mean what we think it means but what does the cross mean tomorrow what does the cross mean two hours from now when you are with the ones you love but yet you don't want to treat them nicely (laughs) when you deal with other people at work what does it mean or later today, when you meet up with someone that has weird blood with you, what does the cross mean? right? What does it mean? What does it mean? So I want to d- dig into that today. Is that cool? Um, I want to get into, We're going to dig into different motifs or themes. These are not so much theories as if you would see it as poetry at the way the cross works in our lives, what it accomplishes in our lives. So, yes, Jesus died for our sins. But what does it mean now? What does it mean then? What does it mean today? So, uh, Luke 22, Luke 22. So today we're gonna talk about Christus Victor. Say Christus Victor. All right, that's Latin for Christ the victorious one. Uh, We're gonna get into this theme that uh, what the scripture says about us is that we are in enemy-occupied territory, if you will. Um, That the good news story of the cross It's not just two players, humanity and God, that it's three players, God, humanity, and evil. Or scripture would call it the Satan, or the ruler of this age, or the prince of the air. There's a lot of different titles for him, the accuser, the adversary. We're going to dig into this today. That C.S. Lewis said, enemy occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of of the way the rightful king has landed. Some may say landed in disguise and has calling us to take part in a right, great campaign of sabotage. And so, um, yeah, that, that a lot of times in Scripture, I think growing up in church, you just kind of hear um, sin as this, which, as this great affront to God, as this great um, dishonoring to God, or, or uh, this great thing that now he has to punish something because we did this horrible thing. And it, we tell a moral story uh, that because you messed up and made this mistake, now... God has to punish something, and now he's going to punish his son, and now because he punished his son, you can have right worship with him. I think that there's something we've missed in the Western way we've tried to explain the story, whereas what Scripture really—I want to to kind of just help you see a broader story happening— Actually, I don't believe we're going to talk about substitution next week in which God, Jesus died in our place. But um, it was not to, to appease some wrath. That's actually a very old pagan idea that, that we need gods to, to, to be appeased, right? Um, there's a sense of we're going to tap into that next week, so just hold that conversation off. But this week, I want to talk about how the issue is that the, the real way to understand sin and our condition is this, this, this uh, theme of being um, stuck or trapped, if you will. The way the scriptures describe our condition is, is we are trapped. Uh, and so uh, I just, I don't know if you saw this weekend, there was a hotel in China that crumbled um, over the lives of 70 um, people who were quarantined to the virus. There was a video of a young boy being rescued out with like several workers pulling him out and he, he tells the workers, my mom is still trapped, still trapped in the rubble. And that, that's kind of the picture you know, it says that psychologists and people say that somehow humans can get superhero strength when they see someone's trapped and this adrenaline rush comes in. I remember one time um, this uh, uh, maintenance worker came to our house and, and, and accidentally uh, locked the back door. Uh, and, and we never locked this back gate, metal gate. And my, my wife would take out the trash after he left. And the, the gate closed. And she came back in. And she couldn't get back in the gate because we never locked that gate. And she has our, we have our little kids in there, and she goes around the front, and she just busts down the whole door. Dead bolt up, patow, kick it in. Just supernatural strength, right? Just amazing. It's a sense that, like, that's what God did for us. Is You know, I did that with a broken elbow. I don't know. It just kind of came over me. I don't know if you knew this. But this supernatural strength comes over. This adrenaline rush. And when when God rescued us in our condition, we are trapped by three things the scripture says. Sin, death, and really sin, death are together, and the enemy. Uh, and, and, And he came and kicked down and lifted us up out of that trapness. Out of that stuckness. This was not, God was not some being who's like, I'm going to make human creatures who I know are going to mess up, but then I'm going to hold them accountable for messing up even though I know they're going to be messed up and they need to feel like they've got to do something to appease it and I'm going to appease it. Like, no, like he knows that we are trapped. He knows that he made us completely good, but that we are trapped by the enemy. And what scripture comes to tell us is on the cross it was a decisive event in which God, triumphed over the enemy that trapped us. That's what we're going to dive into today. So Luke 22. Before this, it talks about Judas being influenced by Satan. So we see this theme of this cosmic warfare theme. And when he, Jesus, rose from prayer, he went to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said, this is right before he dies on the cross, he goes to the garden and pray, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation, right? So we see this worldview of evil, right? That is, of temptation. This is the worldview of the the first message of Jesus. This is the way the the Christians, for five centuries after Jesus' death, understood what Jesus did on the cross, is what I'm talking about today. It is the grand narrative of what Jesus is doing, and then many other themes under it. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to kiss Jesus, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Those who were around him saw what would follow. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword, right? So they wanted to take vengeance with violence. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Ouch. But Jesus said, no more of this. No violence. You're out of control. You're living under a different kingdom. He touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priest and officers of the temple and elders who had come outside against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? He's talking to these. Remember, he's talking to the chief priests, the religious leaders, and officers. And he says, When I was with you that day after the temple, you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour. Whose hour was it? Who was he talking to? The chief priest, right? And who else's hour? And the power of darkness, okay? So I want you to see this as Jesus is, is saying something cosmic is happening here, something of darkness is happening here, where somehow this element evil. Is greater power of evil, and yet human willpower are being interconnected. And that's what Paul is going to call the power. So, um, so we are in this stuckness. So what did Jesus do to overcome this trapness that we have, that one day, statistically, there, the st- stats haven't changed, one out of every one person will die, right? It's true. You're go- we're going to die, right? I had a friend that was on an airplane. Um, he tells me a story that the engine... Like went out, and the plane just like dropped, started to drop. And at that moment, he said there was two responses. He said half the plane started praying like crazy, and the other half screamed the f word. He was like, there was not a variety. It wasn't. It was all the f word. It was like. "Ah, And then, and then finally, the engine caught, caught back on and the plane went going. And, and it was kind of like that moment, like, everybody just looked around like, oh, so you're an F-word guy. Okay, I know. now we know. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, like, you just kind of knew where everybody stood in life at that moment, right? Now, death is coming for us, Right? At that moment, they weren't like, well, you know, like the idea that there's not a God, you know, it's like, well, you know, we may land this plane safely. We may burn in flames. Who really? There wasn't like a philosophical response to that. Um, it was our face that we all one day are going to die. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus took on flesh and blood of, the, of his children so that he who holds the power over death, Satan, that Satan has this lean on us. He has a lean on us in this world that he's holding over us, that you're one day going to die because of, of rebellion, and you're one day, I'm holding this lean on you, that, that, that you are going to continue to live in this broken world. And, and what happens is, is that Jesus took the lean from Satan's hand and rescued us from the power of death. That he rescued us from that power, that because he died and overcame death, he is the victorious one over death. So now, a new Universe, a world, The universe works in a new way. I'm getting ahead of myself. The universe now functions in a completely different way. Not only death, but also this sense of the enemy. Let me, let me show you a couple of verses. First John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's the whole reason he came, was to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2 says this. He says, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh made you alive. Jesus' work on the cross is not to make you good pe- bad people better. It's to make dead people alive. That he came to make you alive, that you are in this, this lean that Satan has over this world, this curse, this accusation, right? Satan is known as the accuser. God is not the accuser. So this next verse confuses a lot of people, that God made a life together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Who's holding the record of debt against us? Is it God, or is it the enemy? It's the enemy. The enemy is the one holding this moral law saying, you can't meet this standard. You are accursed. You are nothing. You are no good. You're going to die and not have life. That is the message of the enemy. We've kind of understood this in the past, of that, oh, God is holding this record of debt against us. no. The enemy is holding this record dead against us and with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, and then he disarmed the powers that these powers had, were armed with weaponry and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in him. Now, all throughout Paul's work, he uses these words powers, principalities, authorities. Um, We have to first talk about what are the powers. What, what are these things? Um, next slide. The cosmic powers are evil spiritual forces that take root in individuals, ideologies, and institutions leading to a life and culture of fear and death resulting in being cut off from God and each other. So in the church, we like to talk about these powers as just spiritual things, right? In the secular world, we like to talk about evil as just a human thing. But what scripture affirms again and again is evil is when these supernatural forces are linked up to and coinciding with individuals, ideologies, and institutions working together to lead to a life of fear and death, cutting us off from God and each other. So that's what the powers are. So. That's, go back to the very first slide, Luke 22, if you don't mind. That's why I wanted to show you this. What, what did Jesus say in the Gospels? He says at the very end, This is your hour, who? To the religious leaders, the chief priest. you're doing this evil thing. This is your hour, and it's also the power of darkness. Do you see that? So, this is where Paul gets his view that the powers and authorities is when institutions, individuals, ideologies sync up with evil and allow evil to influence them, and that is the, the powers at work, if you will, the grip in evil. It takes on many, many forms. It's these self... It, it can take on the self-destructive tendencies of an individual, right? We all know that individuals have these... We all have these habits of addiction, habits of, of things we do, what, what Paul says. I, I one time was on a... You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in conversation with a girl, and you know, she, she was struggling just with Christianity, and I was just talking about... our Everyone agrees, no matter what you believe, our world is broken. She goes, yeah. She goes, I, all the time. I do what I don't want to do. I was like, you know you just quoted Romans 7, like the words of Paul? Like, you know, we do what we don't want to do all the time. And this is the sense of where, where, where evil is at our door, crouching at our door, seeking to destroy us. Um, not only that, but ideologies. We can take a good thing, um, a, view, a political ideology, a, a religious ideology, and we can be so rigid with it that we harm others and exclude others and hate others and make them feel less than and destroy their identity because we allow evil to attach to an ideology institutions the church the 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 poli- politics can the empire so what what when god was writing this gospel he's showing that just like pharaoh had this evil attached to him and destroying his people through slavery. So in Jesus' time, Herod, right? What is Herod doing? He's killing his babies. What is Pilate doing? He's killing Jesus. He's saying that at the time of Jesus' death, in Colossians 2, go back to Colossians 2, what was happening in time of Jesus' death is Jesus looked like he was losing. Jesus was stripped bare. He experienced every single thing we went through. He was made a public spectacle. Go to the list of... uh, the second slide, if you don't mind. Jesus was questioned. He was betrayed. He was deserted by his best friends. He was denied. He was spit on. Struck. Slapped. Mocked. He was stripped naked. Insulted. Beaten. Falsely accused. Condemned, humiliated, scorned, crucified, rejected, bruised, hated, stared at, left naked in public, and killed. So Jesus went through every human possible suffering imaginable. And he did that, so he shares in our struggle, he shares in our suffering, he stands in solidarity with us. And what go to Colossians 2? So he was made this public spectacle what looked like he was losing. But what the testimony of the scriptures say is that what looked like to the powers, to Pilate, that Jesus was losing, Jesus was actually having victory over the powers. That when he was looked like he was a public spectacle, somehow in his death, Jesus was making a public spectacle of the enemy that this language is Roman-Victorian language. When they would, Roman, Roman era, when Rome conquered a land, they would come in with a big procession, kind of like the Cubs after a World Series. Years ago. Once. And what would happen? You carry in the trophy. We overcame our opponent. There would be this huge procession with crowds, and behind it would be the spoils and the enemy tied up naked to be a a public spectacle, prisoners of war to be laughed at, to be triumphed over. And Jesus looked like that, but what looked like was losing was actually winning. That love wins, that love triumphs, that love conquers all. And what did Jesus do on the cross? Every time all these enemies were spitting on him, mocking him, what was his response? Every response was always reception. He looks at the criminal on the cross. Who One criminal mocks him, says, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. The other criminal says, remember me. And he says, remember me? She says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Reception. He looks at, he looks at Mary and says, John, behold your mother, Mary. Reception. He raises from the dead. And he's got these horrible disciples that left him and betrayed him. Thank God that never happens to anyone today. And then he looks at them and says, you suckers, you left me, you did nothing. Get out of here. He goes, no, eat breakfast, reception. That's the beauty of what Jesus is doing on the cross is reception to us. Um, Go to the slide of the Trinity. This is from the 15th century. One of the only good things the Russians produced for us. Just kidding, that was a joke. It was a slip, sorry. Tolstoy, it was good. Now, there's good things. This was uh, one of the most, it's kind of dark, you can't see it, but one of the most uh, powerful Eastern Orthodox images is the image of the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the cross represents here, there's Jesus holding the staff in the middle. The chalice there in the middle represents this this union and communion. And this spot right here is for us. That's what the Eastern Orthodox Church teaches. That, That spot right there, what Jesus did on the cross, is this picture he, they've given us a spot with oneness with God. Reception. That is exactly what Jesus is doing on the cross, is reception. So, in John 16, what did Jesus say? John 16, 33, Take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. So he's like, I'm the only one who lived a sinless life who was mocked, betrayed, beaten, scorned, and did nothing but love as a result. Because I was completely the God figure, the God-man, God-human figure who could do it all in your place, yes. and I've overcome the world. I did it. He's like, I did it, did it. Death, I did it. I conquered it. Like, you have to have a little bit of a swagger to say this. Don't you agree? <laughs> I've overcome the world. I did it. I did it. I conquered evil. I did it. I never, ever, ever lifted my finger to anyone in the middle of traffic. I did it. Jesus is like, I did it. I never, <laughs> ever did that. Some of you are like, well, I did I've never done that. I'm like, pride. <laughs> <laughs> You're pri- you know, so, so even Come we can't on. escape. Come on. We can't escape this. Jesus says, I'm the only one. Now, because of who I am, get this. This is what the cross does. Because of this one singular event, Jesus is saying the entire universe functions in a new reality. It's suffering, sacrificial love. This, The whole universe now functions in a new reality. Are you catching this? This is hopefully. I'm hoping this kind of resets your framework of what the cross accomplished for us. Yeah. That now the world and the cosmos functions under this new reality of sacrificial suffering love is the way the universe works best. It's the way the entire world works best. So when you're like, this person did this to me, and I'm waiting, and one day I'm going to get them revenge. You are functioning in the way the universe used to work. Yeah. But because of the cross, there is a new way where Jesus says, the way of Jesus is suffering sacrificial love. Yeah. That is pushing back all darkness. And that's, that's, that's what he's calling us into, church, is this way of suffering sacrificial love that is victory when it looks like you are losing in your workplace because you are the christian at the water cooler and you are mocked you're actually winning now hopefully everybody in that place ends up winning but at that moment jesus says it looks like you are losing but in this new reality of suffering sacrificial love you are winning that what looks like failure is now victory so in christ this is nothing new for jesus in Christ, oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think this should be our new catchphrase as a church, pushing back the darkness. I just love that. I think we need this reminder. I wish we had, maybe we can start spiritually prank calling each other, like, hey, push back the darkness or something like that. I don't know. Um, text messages, push back the darkness, right? Um, if somebody wants to make a bumper sticker, feel free. I hate Christian bumper stickers, but, you know. Pushing back the darkness. That this is what we are doing in the light of the cross because Jesus has made victory over the cross. We are pushing back the darkness. Now, how is Jesus having this victory? How? He did not get this victory, again, by using the same tactics of the enemy. He didn't use the same weaponry. He didn't use the same machinery. He did not use the tactics of the enemy to destroy evil. Darkness cannot push back darkness. Only light can push back darkness. So he didn 't use any of the weapons of the enemy, because when we do that you 're only going to have another country come after that you 're only going to have another form of evil come after that you can't what our world does is we 'll use a better form of evil That's such a, good word. A, 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 a nicer form of evil, right uh, it, it will, But Jesus says, no, i 'm not going to use that. My way of victory is sacrificial suffering love. Yeah. second thing he does is what the 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 early church testifies to is that jesus work on the cross was just the beginning he had so much more work to do after that uh a creed we say during advent is the apostle's creed it has this line in it that testifies to several different scriptures that when jesus died he descended into hell okay it's kind of weird stuff right um this, this, what does that mean? No one really fully knows. There's a lot of different interpretations. This is a whole other sermon. I'd love to do a whole sermon on he descended into hell. But for now, whatever it's metaphorical or literal, what, what, the, what the church used to call this was the harrowing of hell. The harrowing means distress. That Jesus, when he died, went to bring all distress to hell. He sent all hell to hell. Wow. That Jesus went to hell for all the right reasons. <laughs> That he went to hell, not to save those who have died before him, but that there's this picture of Adam and Eve in a lot of the literature, a lot of imagery, that what he's doing is coming and rescuing Adam and Eve, not with a, an evangelistic message, but with an announcement saying that I have conquered death. I have conquered the curse. You are free. You are no longer, I'm lifting you up. So, next image, Christus Victor. Uh this is called Fragmentations of the Crucifixion. Anybody see this at the MCA by chance? Beautiful piece of art. Nathan, what's the name of the artist again? Do you remember? I thought you might know. Nathan told me about it. But this is a picture of Jesus in a slam dunk. That the cross was Jesus just completely laying Satan prostrate, like just dunking on him, right? It's called the ascension, that Jesus is lifting us up, that the cross only makes sense when it's touching our flesh, when it's touching our life. And he is lifting us up out of this trap. That's what the cross did, is it lifted us up. It lifted us up out of this trap of death, Satan, and the enemy. You guys following with me? So Jesus overcame the powers. His entire ministry is overcoming the powers. When he healed people, Jesus was overcoming the powers. When Jesus included the outsider who was seen as a prostitute or a tax collector, he was overcoming the powers. When Jesus went to the Samaritan woman who was excluded because of her race, he was overcoming the powers. When Jesus went and healed uh, a woman bleeding of blood for 12 years, Jesus was overcoming the powers. Every time he forgave someone, he was overcoming the powers. When he was born... He was overcoming the powers, and when he was on the cross, it was final. Jesus didn't just die to forgive us of our sins, but to destroy the power and evil in this world. Another way of looking at it is a picture that stands in my mind from a long time ago. In the Gulf War, um, Rafael Peralta, a Mexican-American, the moment he got his green card, he signed up for the Marines. And in the middle of battle, a grenade flew into the building that they were fighting in, and he takes the grenade and encloses it, knowing that he was already shot in his arm, takes the grenade and encloses it into his body. And he dies, and shrapnel does hurt everyone else in the room, but he protects them. And Rafael Peralta was the first Mexican-American to ever get the Medal of Honor. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. He's taken the attack of the enemy. He's absorbed it into himself. And so now some of you are asking questions, but why do we still see evil? If this is true, if Jesus conquered everything, why is there still evil? Why is there still darkness? There's still this, what theologists call it, already but not yet is the best language for it. That, yeah, we're going to be hit with shrapnel from the damage of what Jesus absorbed. We're still hit with the, the attacks of the enemy, but... It is a decisive victory that's already been won for us. And he has absorbed all of that for us so that we can also co-reign as co-heirs with him and have victory over death, evil, and Satan ourselves. Amen? So, how does this work out for us? What does this mean, Jesus is victorious? What does it look like for us? It changes everything. This view changes everything. It changes the way you pray, Now you pray from a place of victory. You pray from a place that Christ has already won the battle. It changes the fact that you can do Sabbath rest. Because it changes the fact that the lies of the enemy that says you are what you do, you are what you achieve, are crucified and done. It is finished. You can rest. Because you live and work from a place of victory, not as a slave to Pharaoh, not as a slave to the tyrant, you can rest. It changes everything. It changes our relationships. It changes the way we see conflict. So every time you listen to someone, you are pushing back the powers. Every time you sacrifice for someone, you're pushing back the powers. I love what Greg Boyd says. He says one of the, about relationships and conflict, he says one of the main reasons, listen to this church, one of the main reasons we're so quick to engage in human warfare is because we're slow to engaging in spiritual warfare. Instead of pillaging the enemy's house and taking it back for God, we pillage each other. So what if we have this view that Christ has overcome the powers, our enemy is not flesh and blood. We have a different enemy. And then when we begin to believe the best of each other, we are pushing back the powers. When we, when we make assumptions that are the best about each other and not bad assumptions, we're pushing back darkness. We're pushing back the darkness as a church. What does it look like for you in your world to push back the darkness? To resist evil and resist using the tactics of evil. To say, no, I live under a new, the new universe functions a whole different way doesn't function the old way. I'm done. He did it. He did it. He overcame darkness. I will bless my enemy. Like Martin Luther King when he uh, burned, burned a cross in his front yard. He put on his best suit, got out and looked at this cross and prayed, bless these people who did this. That's the sacrificial suffering love of Jesus. And those churches, <laughs> they didn't call it something fancy. They just called it Christian love. That's what we're called to. That love wins the day. It is the only thing that wins the day. So, this not only does this change our changes the way we pray, it changes the way we rest, changes our mission, it changes our relationships, it also changes our mission. Jesus has secured the final victory. There's still places of darkness yet to be taken. There's still places of darkness yet to see the light. So we see a great reversal in the cross and resurrection, which is the proof of the victory. And we can say with Paul, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? That's a verse of mocking Satan, where Paul is mocking Satan, saying there's no sting anymore with death. We can declare, as Jesus declares over Peter, uh, Peter, (laughs) Peter, Peter. Declares Simon, son of God, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you that you called me son of God, but the gates of Hades will not prevail. I give you the king keys of the kingdom. First John four is he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Second Corinthians, divine power, we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Luke ten, Jesus says, I've seen Satan fall like lightning. Like you bear the victorious name of Jesus. This matters because lives are in the balance lives are in the balance your coworkers and friends are in the balance this isn't a game this is a, this is an issue of, of people's lives being liberated from darkness in which we live on mission and love and continue to proclaim the name of jesus because at the name of jesus darkness flees yeah. Yeah. darkness always flees at the name of jesus that there will be no darkness in his light we want to see people transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, as Colossians 1 says it, into the kingdom of light. We want to enter in in Jesus' name and see light drive out darkness. So, if you want to see salvation, we want to see baptisms. We want to get a dose of this undomesticated Jesus that propels us to live for Him. Propels us to live for Him out of love and not out of compulsion. I'm not asking anyone to do anything out of compulsion or guilt. I'm asking you to see and experience the victory for yourself and to proclaim that victory to others. So, Missy O'Day, I just want to call us to four things as I close. How do we push back the darkness? Number one, I think we just need a renewed vision of Christ as the victorious one. We need a renewed vision of Christ as liberator, that He is the victorious one. Jesus is among us, Missy O'Day. Jesus is here, right now, like He is here. He is in our lives. He is in this space. Do you sense him? Do you know him? Not some propositional truth about him. Not, we talk about this all the time. We don't believe Jesus is just some ethical thing to follow or, or propositional truth. We believe he's someone to be known and experienced. To be, to, be, to be filled with and to have a relationship with. That he is, we need to re- have a renewed vision that Jesus is not just an abstract idea. He didn't call us to a set of propositional truths, but a relationship of oneness, that reciprocal love of the Trinity, that picture again. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he's called us to. That's so much more than a historical figure. And the deal is, is I think most of us know Jesus as like salvation. I think most of us in the room know Jesus as like the Savior, Right? We know that he. We know our sins have been forgiven. We recognize that there's some kind of transaction. We're no longer held accountable for our sins. I believe we know him as Savior. I don't. I think few of us know him as liberator. Few of us know him as liberator and victorious over the darkness. Um. So maybe here today. Uh, maybe you're secure, right? Knowing that you're going to go to the heavenlies, right? You're going to go to the by and by, <laughs> but maybe you, you need to experience him as delivered today. I think of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was one who would, the early church said was so devoted to Jesus, so, so like, um, like gave financially to Jesus' ministry, sacrificially. That she funded Jesus' ministry is a beautiful thing. He, she was one of the most faithful disciples, cared for Jesus' tangible needs, but it says her story, says that she had seven demons. I don't even know how to intellectually wrap my mind around that. Like, but I don't know about you, but many I feel like there's demons that torment you in this room. You don't even need to be a Christian. And you know that something different is going on. And it reminds me of Time Magazine, you know. Um, a lot of times when horrible things happen, the world really just grapples with language. Um, some of you feel like you're living in a living hell right now. Um, they're in genocide of Rwanda. During the genocide of Rwanda, they interviewed a missionary and they said, what's going on? This is the first time Time Magazine ever put quotations on the front cover instead of a picture, went past their policy. They asked the missionary, what's going on? He says, there are no devils left in hell. They are all in Rwanda. Some of us just feel like the weightiness of living hell at times. There's like this demon's oppressing us, oppressing us down. Jesus wants to set you free today. He wants to set you free. He wants to liberate you. He wants to give you power. Now, Missy O'Day is something key to us. It's like we are a broken community, right? Like every single one of us is broken. Um, We're all misfits here. We are a misfit church. And if you're here and you have everything together, I just want to ask you graciously to leave before you mess this up. Um, We are a huge community of misfits, now, in that, we listen to each other, we hear each other's broken, but one thing we need to hear in our brokenness is that Christ can bring victory to your life. That He can overcome the powers. He has overcome the powers, and He can see and show through victory in your oppressiveness, in things that are pressing you down, in the things that are the demons that are in your life. He can bring you victory. So, church, number one, reclaim vision. Jesus is the Liberator 2. As I share, there's going to be like, listen to the promptings of your heart. As I share, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to rise things in your heart that are, that are in you. Um, he's just doing that to set you free. If he's raising these things in your heart right now, as I share and talk, he's only raising those things up so that he can free you from them. So he can, he can, he, he's bringing them. So listen to the promptings of your heart. What is it that he's bubbling up? And then set, thirdly, um, just bring your whole self to God this morning. Bring your whole self to God. I, 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 I struggle to kind of like say, hey, if you have faith, come forward. You know, because a lot of times we don't, faith doesn't ever feel like faith. You ever notice that? Like we, we kind of compare ourselves to other people with faith all the time. Oh, they fit, seem like they have so much more faith. I don't have faith. God just wants you to bring your whole self. He wants you to bring your doubts, your distrust, your anxiety. He wants you to bring everything of who you are. He doesn't want to just save a piece of you. He wants to liberate all of you. So bring your whole self to God this morning. And then lastly, I just, I just propel us and, 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 and exalt us to this and encourage us to this. Just receive the reception of God. He's received you, son. He's received you, daughter. He's completely received you. Overcome the enemy so he can have union with you, oneness with you. That's the call today is that you? the band, you guys can come up and lead us in worship. You know, if you don't feel, feel like you have faith, I believe there's people in this room who have enough faith for you. I love the picture in Mark 2 where the, the friend was dropped down, right, from the roof yes. into the Jesus because these friends had faith for this person. I believe I have faith for you today if you don't feel like you have enough faith to come forward and be prayed over. Um, we, yes and amen. <laughs> Pushing back the darkness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, church... I pray that we would um, just bring our whole selves today, not just a fragmentation. Um, Bring yourself that is conflicted. And here's the cool thing. There's people who are going to have faith for you in the room to to pray over you, to pray life and victory over you. Um, Just pray that God would do your work today in, in your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Would you guys stand as we pray and close? King Jesus, you are here. You're in this place. Um, We announce and believe that where your name is praised and worshipped, your darkness flees. That light will drive out darkness. May we be a community that pushes back the darkness in our lives. Sees the liberator in our lives, the liberator of Jesus, who's a hero who's come and conquered the enemy conquered sin and death. Would you just listen to the promptings of the Spirit right now? What are the things that you know, no one else knows, but you know that the darkness feels heavy and weighty on you? God's saying there is, there is an attack that if, if you don't begin to, to see my triumph over today that you are going to be sifted as wheat. You're going to be, um, the devil is ro- roaming like a roaring lion seeking to who he may devour. So Jesus, all bitterness and hate and judgment of others, we announce you are light, and you are acceptance, and you are love in this place. And we ask that the spirit of those things flees from this community. Addiction, lies that you berate yourself with, that you tell you you are not good enough, you are not, you are damaged goods. Jesus, you are acceptance and you are the identity giver. In all those lies, we say flee in your name. For those that feel like they are under the tyrant of their boss, they don't know how to have, they just feel like they're serving their boss, like you are made in Jesus' image, you are free from the empire, and you can rest in Jesus' name today. You can pray from a place of victory that the battle has already but not yet been won. So we pray today as we worship you in victory in Jesus' name that you have conquered the devil. You have conquered sin. You have conquered the grave so that we could have life. God, would you bring life in this place? Would you bring freshness in this place? Would you remove all obstacles in this place? Just worship King Jesus. The rightful king has landed. Would you make us your army to push back the darkness in a great campaign of sabotage? May we raise with you, be lifted from our stuckness, lifted from the trap.